honestly, and this is probably not good advice because it's not super useful, but it's just you got to do it. You've got to make videos to get confident. That is the only way I think to get confident. There's no amount of like preparation you can do before you hit record that first time that will stop you from being afraid. You just have to make some videos that you're embarrassed about before you can get to the ones that you're going to be proud of. Charlie, for people who don't know who you are, can you introduce yourself and tell us what it is that you do? Sure. So I'm Charlie. I'm the creative director at ConvertKit. I'm a designer. I'm a content creator. I'm a writer. I'm a speaker. All of the things. But most of what I do um, on the side of my day job is making content to help people, help designers improve their worth as a professional and progress in their careers. Okay. So I think I can at least hear two parts of you, maybe more parts. Mm -hmm. There's the part that you show up to work, you do your job and you earn yep. a living. And then there's the part that you do in your personal life. So let's yep. quickly get through the work stuff because I think a lot of people are going to find what it is that you do and how it is that you do what it is that you do to be inspi inspiring for them. Uh, so you're a creative director at ConvertKit. First of all, quickly for people who don't know what ConvertKit is, what is ConvertKit? Yeah, ConvertKit is a creator marketing platform. So you can use our software to um, build your audience, contact them through an email list. You can sell digital products through us. You can like nurture that audience and um, pitch things to them when the time is right, get to know them better. That's what we do. We're, our mission as a company is to help creators earn a living. So yeah, all the decisions we make are around that. Mm. And how long have you been with them? I have been at ConvertKit for nearly five years, which is yeah. by far the longest job I've ever been in. <laughs> mm -hmm. And what is what do you do kind of in a day-to-day -day role in your responsibilities as a creative director? Yeah, so I lead our brand team and that team is made up of a marketing designer, a filmmaker, videographer, a storyteller who writes these beautiful like profiles of creators and also works on our films on the story side and a content producer who produces creator sessions, which is kind of like a tiny desk meets masterclass that we mm -hmm. produce. Um, so all of our work is about building the ConvertKit brand and getting it out there to creators. Mm -hmm. So does everybody work remotely? Yes, we are a fully remote company. There's no head office anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, I will say that we were like that before the pandemic hit. Um, so, you know, just saying. <laughs> uh, was it always like that? Yep, it's always been like that. We did okay. at one stage have an office in Nashville, but it was never like a an HQ or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, most of the team's in the US, but there's a few of us in Europe as well. We got one in Thailand, one in Nigeria, one in New Zealand. So yeah, global company. Wow. Fascinating. So how, I've, I worked in production for over two decades. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time imagining how all your, you and your team get together to, to do things and especially mm. your videographer, who are they shooting and how is that happening? Yeah. So they didn't for a while during the pandemic. Um, yep. They weren't shooting a lot. But now that things are back back together, we're sticking to the US for the stuff we're shooting because that's where our filmmaker is based. Um, okay. And yeah, the team has been getting together without me. So that's been sad for me, but good Aww. for them that they've been making things together. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So is the pipeline that the writer and your producer and you get together and talk about what stories you want to make and how you want to make it and then turn it over to your, to, to your videographer, content creator? Is that how that works? Not really, really. Um, so the content producer who owns Creator Sessions, her name is Haley. She leads the vision for that. She decides which artists we're going to book and like when we're going to shoot them, arranges the shoots, things like that. Um, and then I would say the filmmaker and our storyteller definitely collaborate and both own together the vision for our film series, which is sort of like a yeah short films telling the stories of the creator journey, profiling creators in uh, in a film. Mm-hmm. Where do you come into this? Where do I come into this? Uh, yeah. Good question. <laughs> on on those sides of things, I feel like I'm mostly there to be the person connecting things to the bigger picture, um, like connecting things to each other and really just making sure they have what they need to do the work that they're great at. You know, um, I, I'm there to give feedback and um, like help them work through problems, but really they own it, you know, and they do a great job of that. Okay. What else do you in your time then? At work, do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> At work? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still a hands-on designer, which is really important to me in moving okay. into a creative director position that I'm still designing because that I feel like is part of who I am at my core. It's just I love designing. Yeah. And um, I've come to love art directing as well and like, you know, directing design more. But I do still love executing on things myself. So mm-hmm. um, each cycle, we work in six-week cycles, I'll have a project of my own that I work on. And the most recent thing I designed was a new homepage that was really fun because it was communicating a new visual direction for our brand, a new like messaging that we have for our product um, and communicating that through the homepage. It was a really fun project because that's just what I thrive on. Um, I also work with our marketing designer and the front end developer who was actually on the marketing team, along with a product marketer as what we call the site squad. So we're the people in charge of our marketing website in increasing its conversion rate, in making improvements, making new pages when needed. Um, so yeah, a lot of strategizing and looking at research, looking at data behind that. I see. So there's a big part of your role in, in your everyday life. Uh, which is to optimize the site and also to build mm-hmm. new new pages for the company. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yep. Strategy, uh, information architecture, wireframes, UX, UI, yep. and then working with the development team to see it all the way through. Yep, exactly. And then probably that. some yeah. part of optimization, just making sure that the conversions and the bounce rate are what it should be. Mm-hmm. And looking at ideas of things we can test as well. That's one of my favorite things. I'm a big nerd when it comes to this sort of stuff is testing things we can change about our site to mm-hmm. make those numbers even better. Um, for example, a recent test we ran was, should we be leading people to a free account or a free trial when they click that sign up button? Um, what's going to what's gonna do better? Um, so yeah, I love having an idea or like a hypothesis like that, mm-hmm. that I felt like leading to a free trial would lead to more people trying those premium features and sticking around as a paid customer than as a free account they like don't get easy access to those premium features. So I we tried see. it and um, it seems to have worked out like early results. You heard it here first. <laughs> mm. Okay. I'm glad you explained that because I couldn't figure out what the difference between a free account and a free trial. Mm-hmm. Free trial yeah, is yeah. <laughs> all the features, but for a limited time. Yep, exactly. Free and then is- you can default to a free account, which is right. completely free to a limited set of features forever. Right. Um, yeah. So you, you give them a taste of the good life and then hope yeah. that they'll stick around. 
yeah, hope that they find value in it and yeah. want to keep using it. <laughs> I love that. It's uh, removing the risk and mm -hmm. saying you could try it. If you don't like it, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. We're not taking your credit card details or anything to try it. So you might oh, really? as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's unusual. Usually people do require that just in case. Yeah. Well, yeah. we, that was uh, part of a, a test we ran several years ago was testing what led to better results in the long term um, and the credit card free run out, uh, one out in there. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you removed pretty much all the buyer resistance, mm -hmm. full, full access, no credit card, no worries. Just try it. Mm -hmm. You guys yeah. are very confident in your product. We are. We are. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. Now, I, I think I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking to you about your, your other life. Yep. The other side of me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not sure if it's the Jekyll or the Hyde. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting because a lot of people do have their nine to five, but then they don't know what to do with the rest of their day in their life. Mm -hmm. They're always searching for something, but you seem to have figured out that balance between these two worlds. So for people then now who don't know the second part of your life, it's not a secret. I can't call it a secret life because it's very public. Uh, tell <laughs> very us about public. the other thing that you do in your quote unquote free time. Yeah. So um, it's hard for me to sum it up. It's just one thing. I guess the best way I can say it is like I said in my intro, I'm creating content to help designers progress in their careers. It started as a YouTube channel about nearly eight years ago now. I started making videos on YouTube and yeah, making videos talking about design, sharing my projects and things that I'm working on. It progressed to writing blog posts about that sort of stuff too, writing a newsletter, speaking at conferences. And right now, a thing I'm working on is writing a book about marketing design as well. So yeah, just going where wherever the, the gut instinct takes me. Um, what was the motivation behind even getting on YouTube? And before, mm. before you tell me that, how, how old were you when you started? Oh my gosh. Um, I think I was in my mid-20s. That would be probably about 25. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I started for two reasons. One is my sister, who was three years younger than me, started a channel and started like connecting with people in the New Zealand YouTube community. And it just looked like she was having so much fun. And I was oh. a little bit jealous <laughs> and wanted to be part of it. Um, okay. But the other side of it is I was getting into watching vloggers on YouTube, you know, like people sharing their lives. Mm -hmm. And I think what a lot of us do when we get into something like that is try and find like-minded people to follow, right? And I wanted to watch other designers and see what they were doing in their lives, how they were handling projects. But all I could really find were Photoshop tutorials and like illustrator tutorials. Here is how you can make a logo. And I'm like, well, I know that stuff. And like, I know I can find that if I need more learning, but I want to know about you as a person and like, what are you doing in your life? Um, what struggles do you face? What am I going to face in my career? How can I learn from you? And I just started thinking that maybe I could provide a little bit of that to YouTube. Um, and that was one of the initial things that pushed me to actually take action and start is like, maybe that could be me then. Maybe I could be that for someone else in my position looking for this type of content. Mm. So you were initially just searching for something and found that you couldn't find what it is you were looking mm -hmm. for. Then you yep. wound up creating it for yourself and others. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wonderful. And can you describe to me the feelings that you might have had uh, to be on camera and to be recording mm -hmm. yourself in those early days? <sighs> yeah. Okay. Well, it's so awkward to look back on. I don't know if you feel this from your early videos or if you've just always been this self-assured, but um, yeah, I look back on my old videos and I'm like, who is that person? I don't even, <laughs> I don't even recognize her. Why is she talking like that? Like, <laughs> yeah, I was... Um, 
unconfident and trying to act confident so that mm. I could do it, you know, which, um, you know, I can't judge myself too harshly. I'm glad that I took the steps to, to try it because doing something new is always scary. Um, yeah. And I could have let it hold me back forever, the being afraid of, of coming, how I'd come across on camera. But, um, you know, I did it anyway, but yeah, it was a struggle. We'll say that. <laughs> could you give uh, some, some tips or advice for people who might be feeling that anxiety First of mm -hmm. all, to respond to your question, uh, I, for, for a year and a half, I could not watch any of the videos. I could just record them, <laughs> but I can't watch it. Forget about it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I'm, I just read the comments as a way to kind of gauge if the video worked or not. Yeah. Uh, but yep. it's just a weird feeling to talk to yourself. Now, if mm -hmm. it, a camera were not rolling, that's a sign of dementia or you're going crazy. <laughs> People who talk to themselves. So I, I get super hyper self-conscious when I do that. I cannot do that. I need to talk to someone. So how, how do you get over that? What helped me was number one, making a really solid plan for what I wanted to talk about before I hit record, because otherwise I would turn on the camera and be like, sort of get stage fright in front of no one, you know? Um, and another thing, honestly, and this is probably not good advice because it's like not super useful, but it's just, you got to do it. You've got to make videos to get confident. That is the only way I think to, to get confident. There's no amount of like, preparation you can do before you hit record that first time that will stop you from being afraid. You just have to make some videos that you're embarrassed about before you can get to the ones that you're going to be proud of. Yeah. Okay. That's the, that's the real advice. Nobody wants to hear yeah. that, but that's the truth. I know. That's why it sucks to give it out because I'm like, I'm sorry, but this is just the way it's got to be. Um, it's the same with growing a YouTube channel as well. I think people make like 10 videos and they're like, where's all those subscribers and ad money I was promised? And you know, that's just not how it works. You've got <laughs> to put in, put in the work and like make some shitty videos before you can get to the good ones. Sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to. You can say whatever you want. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> so let's just burst a couple of bubbles. One, it's oh, going to no. suck. You're going to suck. But if you want to yeah. get good, you have to start. Mm -hmm, and and mm -hmm. two, you have to understand it's a long game. Yeah. A lot of people think, oh, you know, I made 10 posts on Instagram. Why is my account not blowing up? Yeah. I made 10 videos on YouTube. Why? Why does no one care? So for you, how long did it take before it's, you started to get some confidence and some traction? Yeah. I remember reaching 100 subscribers in my first month, and I was so proud of that. Like, that felt huge to me to have, like, made it to triple digits within my first month of making videos. Um, I have, like, pulled up here my some stats, just if you're interested Ooh, in, in other milestones. Yes, um, I think it took me seven months to reach 1,000 subscribers which was again, like I felt really quick. Nowadays you see people, you know, having a viral video and blowing up way past that earlier. Um, within a year and 10 months, I was at 10,000. Three years, six months, I was at 50,000. It took four years and nine months for me to reach 100,000. And then um, another three years after that to reach where I am now at 200,000. So it sounds like you're accelerating, right? It took you four years plus yes. to get to 100 and three years. So yep. to get to 300, it'll take you two years or one year or something like that. Hopefully. That would be very Hopefully. nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it takes a while. And people who are listening to this are going to be like, oh my God, you know, that many months to get to a thousand because we're so into this space where it's instant gratification, mm -hmm. overnight success. And we see examples of that and we think that's the norm. Yeah. That's the exception. It is the exception, totally. And I think if the only reason you're creating and putting stuff out there is to get the numbers, 
you're going to be very discouraged yeah. and disappointed unless you are the exception to the rule, right? Right. So I think there has to be a, a different reason that you're creating because it's super unmotivating sometimes to see, see the numbers not be what you want them to be. Um, yeah. And you got to push through that. I'd like to share something with people who are listening to this so that they're aware of something. Sometimes we wish that, my God, I wish this video would blow up, but mm. let's just play this fantasy out. Your video, for whatever reason, goes thermonuclear and millions of people look at it and you're like, oh my God, it's so amazing. Here's the thing. It creates an expectation now. Mm-hmm. So when your next video, if it doesn't hit, what do you feel? Depression, mm-hmm. sadness, and you're constantly chasing that. I, I think about like bands who have that one hit, they're always chasing the hit and they never get back there. And it's quite depressing. I would suggest and encourage everyone to just play the long game. And, and the game that you're playing is to be a little bit better than you were yesterday. Yeah. To make small improvement. That's, that's all you can do. Totally. To like learn from the last video you put up or the last thing you created and do better next time. Try Mm -hmm. something different next time and make sure that you're doing it for the sake of making it. And because you believe what you're putting out there is valuable and, you know, good for the internet and not for the numbers. Mm -hmm. So the kind of content that you create is a mix of a few things. Because I I went back and looked at your highest performing videos. I remember Mm -hmm. the early days. Screen printing. Mm -hmm. That's got two million views, right? Yep, that's the most popular video on my channel and I don't make anything to do with screen printing anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And I think your third or fourth most popular video was like you doing wireframing, Mm -hmm. right? That's got several hundred thousand views. So I'm curious about something. I'm I'm a numbers person. So this, let's just talk creator to creator. Sure. When we have a hit, I start to think about, can we repeat that hit? Mm. And what is it about that that connected with people and we try? It's not always easy to get back there because you're like, I just can't figure out the internet. It's so fickle. You know, it's the timing, the title, something about it made it work. Do you go through those same things or you just don't even care? I do. So the the most popular video on my channel, the screen printing one, is actually my version two of an earlier screen printing video that I made. It's like my fifth ever video, I think, um, that started getting, you know, traction back then, which would have been like a few thousand views. And I thought I could do a better job of it and make it into something that um, directly offered a PDF opt-in that people would get by signing up to my email list. So I made it very consciously as a way that I thought I could grow my email list. through that video. And that's, yeah, it's worked out. The majority of my email list now comes from that video, which now that screen printing isn't my focus may not be a good thing, but you know, the idea worked out. Uh (laughs) So you figured it out then you said, okay, this video worked. I'm going to do a a more intentional version of this video. Mm -hmm. And you were able Mm -hmm. to exceed the success of the first video. Yeah. Far exceeded. It took a while though. Like it wasn't an instant hit. Um, it just sort of like, like with my whole channel really like grew over time. Um, I did the same with with wireframing. I'm not actually sure which wireframing version of the video is the like the one that's most popular right now. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I have an older one that is me wireframing on paper, and I have a newer one that's me wireframing on my iPad, which is my current process. Mm. So um, that's a sort of video where I'm like, I know this is going to be the kind of thing that, for example, teachers show in classrooms. That's a very common use of that video. Is um, you know education educators using it uh, with their students, which is really cool. So I do think about that sometimes. Mm -hmm. It is the one I saw was with you with a Sharpie, with a large piece of paper Mm -hmm. folding it up. That's the other one. Yeah, yeah. And I think (laughs) you do a wonderful job of explaining the thought process and why you go this way versus that way. And I, I, you know, this is probably a common thing you hear. 
I wish I saw that video before I started to wireframes because I made all the mistakes. I did it digitally. I started aligning and just making it look pretty mm-hmm, versus mm-hmm. just get the idea down. Yep. And I got stuck on that. And it wasn't until I, I asked my friend, Jose, Jose, what am I doing wrong? He said, Chris, you're, you're, you're being too much of a designer right now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what do you mean? So he started telling me, this is how you have to work. Yep. Just get the information organized. That's just, that's the stage that you're in right now. Don't try to design it because when you hand it over to designer, they're going to want to design it just the way you did it. Yeah. And now they're locked into the design as well. Yep. So lots of things to learn. So I want to address a couple different things. As an educator, the videos that you and I make, they're slow burns. They're not like splashes. Mm-hmm. They're, you, they're utilitarian. They teach things. There's no crazy bombastic hook and they just grow over time. But you don't get that kind of that high, that hit of like, oh my God, it's just blowing up. Everybody's talking about sketching on wireframes. People just don't do that. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great though? Wouldn't it be great to be a world that we live in when people are going nuts over wireframes? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But what they do instead is go nuts over prank videos and mean-spirited comments and trolling videos. Uh, That's what the world, I guess, wants according to the algorithm. Mm, That's very sad for us, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think we can take solace in the in the slow burn of it though. And especially like you said, looking at the comments as a proxy for how how good the video was. I definitely do that as well. It's my favorite thing to get comments on videos, especially from people saying like, oh my gosh, this helped me figure out this. Or I've heard from people that my videos have helped them make decisions about their career, you know, like make them decide they want to be a designer. Or I heard from someone the other day that they finally got this promotion they've been going after based on things they learned in my videos. And I'm like, that's the meaningful shit. Like, that's why I'm doing this, you know? So just a slight side tangent here, uh, because not everybody can see this. Charlie's got purple hair. She's also wearing a purple (laughs) shirt. It it was not always this way because I went back to old videos and it's just, Normal Charlie. And then when did you decide, like, I want to control my branding, my identity? That's interesting. So are you seeing my purple hair? It's like, um, I made this decision because of my brand. <laughs> okay. I am, no, yes. I, don't, I, I guess maybe in a way it's more like for me, um, that dyeing my hair and like, I don't know, expressing myself through fashion and things is just me becoming more and more myself, mm-hmm. which is, I feel what I've been doing throughout my twenties. And now I'm in my thirties and feeling like I know myself better than ever. Um, and purple hair is part of that. Uh, it's very weird here in Spain. No one has, um, colored hair here in Valencia. So I get a lot of looks, but it's like, it makes me feel like me. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. so I keep it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, something I do talk about with, with people who want to establish a personal brand is just like in a, in a visual identity that you design on a piece of paper or on Illustrator, you're also designing yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, who do you want to be? And I think you do tap into maybe some, some of your proclivities, eccentricities, and you just allow yeah. those to shine. Yeah. I love that you said it's just me being more me. And I think a lot of times we think we need to be like someone else, but that spot is already taken. Yep. Right. Totally. So for me, when I started to think about what it is I wanted to do next to my my former business partner, he was going to be the carefree uh, burning man kind of <laughs> burner, if you will. Unshaven. Just like, yeah, man, let's do this. It's cool. So he, yeah. yeah, he leaned into that. I'm like, you know what? I'm a business person. I'm going to wear a suit. I'm going to try my best to be sharp and, and, and to be on point. And so that starts to shape the identity and it evolves over time. But for me, it was conscientious. For you, it's just, hey, I'm just going to dye my hair because I want it. 
Yeah. And uh, okay. it does match my brand. My like, branding on YouTube visually is purple. And that's yep. because it's my favorite color. And so that's why my hair is that color too. <laughs> <laughs> There's no surprise there. There's a lot of purple. So we see it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, getting back to you and, and living this split life. How do you manage your energy? Uh, if you're giving yourself to, to work, presumably 40 hours a week or something like that. Mm -hmm. How do you even find energy to sit down and write? Because it is a chore. It is. You're right. Um, and it's been a struggle lately because of the general situation of the world. I've been feeling more and more exhausted. But um, the main thing is I want to I want to do myself proud. Right. And for example, with this book that I'm writing about marketing design and I'm struggling with it at the moment, struggling to get the motivation to write. But when I do make the time to sit down and do it, I feel good because I feel like I'm acting out on a promise that I made to myself, you know, like past me decided that she wanted to write a book. And so current me is living that out for, for her and like making it happen. Um, so definitely there's a lot of like self-motivation that comes as being a creator, but also in general, especially with my videos, I've found a way to turn my work into content basically has been my approach. So instead of making videos that are very specific, like tutorial based, how to do this thing, um, most of my videos are around sharing the work that I'm doing, which I think is really good and useful because you're seeing real life projects, real life decisions that are being made in a real life company, you know? Um, and so that's been really fun to, to find a way to make my work into content has helped with that, that time balance for sure. Um, I'm assuming everybody at the company is cool with you doing this. Oh yeah. Everyone at the company not only is cool with it, but embraces it. Like, um, my YouTube channel is often referenced in people's job applications that they heard about ConvertKit and like mm -hmm. working here through me talking about working here. Um, I know that it's led to people signing up for the product as well, you know, as a creator and we're a product for creators. So that makes sense too. Um, ConvertKit itself was a side project for our founder back in the day. And so it even says in our company handbook that, side hustles are, um, encouraged, not just allowed. Mm. So yeah, I'm at the right place for that sort of thing. And I don't think it would suit me to be somewhere where that wasn't the case. <laughs> right. That makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of synergy there because they're for creators, your creator, yeah. creating content about a company that's for creators. Yep. It's all very meta. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> so do they ever, or do you ever think about, well, if I share something like this, and it, it can't always be good. I think you're a good ambassador. You're well-spoken. You're wholesome. All those kinds of things. They're not, you're not going to do anything crazy weird. But if you did, that would also affect them on a negative level because they're yeah, like, this is right. the culture there. Mm -hmm. So how do you wrestle with that? Yeah, I think part of that is, like we were saying, just being sure of myself um, and, and who I am and trusting myself. Something I started doing recently is streaming my design process on Twitch, which was very scary to start with because I was used to for years sharing a finished product, right? Or like sharing the journey, but knowing that if I'm showing you something that was crappy, I already have the solution. So I'm like showing you where I started and where I ended so I can feel confident in that. Um, it's been scary to stream on Twitch designing because you know, there's some days where things don't work out and you're like just making some really crappy stuff. Um, and honestly, that has been kind of a confidence booster in a re weird way that I feel 
like I found myself in the situation sharing my work in that stages just showed me how far I've come as a designer and evading imposter syndrome that so many designers talk about, you know, that I feel confident enough now in my abilities that like, yeah, I'm in this shitty place right now, but I trust that someday, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, maybe it won't be till next week, I'm going to break through and get to the right solution in the end. And I just think it's even more useful for people to see that messy middle, right? And maybe they'll feel, yeah. maybe they'll feel less bad about their own, you know, crappy pixels on the page if they're they're seeing mine, as well. <laughs> yeah. So you're talking about designing without a safety net, walking that tightrope, yeah. and I know exactly what you're talking about. So for people who don't understand, when you finish the design, you know how it ends. Yeah. So no matter the the bad parts in the middle, you know it's going to work out because you already mm-hmm. know what it's like. You've got the turkey in the oven perfectly cooked. And so at some point you pull it out and like, here it is, everybody. But designing live, working through the problem can be nerve wracking. It really can. And then you become super self-conscious as people are watching you work live and you know it's bad. They know it's bad. And that could really kill you. But you made it. Yeah. You, you, you did it and it becomes a muscle. And I, I saw your latest vlog talking about it, like, oh, it wasn't good. I knew it wasn't good. And I wanted to make sure I put out good examples of how to get through this. But I think you're doing something even better, which is you're allowing people to see the realities of any creative person in that you don't always have great days. It's not always home runs mm. and working through the dark days when you're, you're guessing, second guessing yourself is the part that I think is very empowering for people. Yeah. And I mean, it it sort of comes back to my original mission of starting the channel, right? That maybe it's really only been something I've fulfilling in the past year or so in sharing this messy middle of work. Because I know that myself, you know, in my first job in tech, I would have loved to hear from a designer that they weren't proud of their work all the time and that they had days where they couldn't figure out the problem. Um, That would have made me feel less like I was screwing up, you know, to, to hear that from someone. So I hope that I can... I can offer that to people through my videos. Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to our conversation. If somebody's listening to this right now, they're becoming very curious about this person with this uh, New Zealand accent working (laughs) out of Spain, uh, (laughs) living virtually. I guess you're a digital nomad. How would you describe the content on your channel? What categories are you hitting besides the vlog? I would say on my channel, you get to hear a lot about design process. Um, Less structured teaching and more real life projects that have been worked on. Um, 
And I would also say you get to hear about the things I'm learning along the way in my career and the way my process evolves over time. Um, and I share those things too. Mm -hmm. And it's mostly around web-based projects? Mostly around web design, but um, I guess another part that I didn't really address just then is the career side of things, which is kind of more applicable to any type of design. I'm very passionate about designers being paid what they're worth, which I know you are too. And um, I talk money on my channel. A recent one I did was going through my income over the last year, which was a little scary, but also really fun to make and put out there and just, you know, be transparent with people, um, make videos about how to like help people get the job that they want to get progress in their careers and that, that side of things too. Mm. So a little bit of professional career development, mm -hmm. a lot of transparency. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that you do that. I wish more people did it, Same. but I think there's just a handful of people who actually really, truly talk about what's going on. Even when they're like, okay, this is a little scary to show, but I'm going to show it anyways. Yeah. Uh, of course, when you're like a gazillionaire, it's like, yo, let me show you how much money I'm making. <laughs> it's easy to do. Right. Yeah, I'm not on that side, though. I will say that. I'm not the gazillionaire. I do own a very good tech salary, um, yeah. but not a gazillionaire. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> you know, who knows? Who knows what's yeah. in, in the future for you? So let, let's talk a little bit about the benefits. You've been doing this for eight years, and it's a lot of work. And there's days where you're mm -hmm. like, I don't want to do it today. But let's talk about some of the benefits. What 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 have you been able to to get or, or doors open and opportunities for you as a result of you doing content? Yeah. The very first thing that came to mind, and this is going to sound like I'm like pandering to you, but it's honestly like connections in the community, you know, talking to someone like you, Chris, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't started my channel. Um, in New Zealand, we are a small country at the bottom of the world. People like leave us off maps sometimes, <laughs> like, you know, we're, we're nobodies down there. Um, and I would look at the, you know, spend a lot of time online and just want to be a part of things, you know, want to want to know people and just break out of the small town feel that you get in really a whole country. And so doing YouTube has definitely enabled that to me, enabled a lot of community building, um, meeting people and building my own reputation as well as a designer, for sure, is one of the main benefits I think that I've gotten from it. I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for or expecting, but that's the first thing that came to mind. What about other things like uh, supplemental income, speaking oh, opportunities, yeah. all those yep, kinds of things? Yep. Yeah. So along with building my reputation, I would say my channel has also helped me to build my career. Um, I know for sure that the this job at ConvertKit, I wouldn't have gotten without my YouTube channel because I got it after meeting our founder, Nathan, at a conference where I was also speaking about my channel and making content consistently. So we probably wouldn't have met if um, I hadn't been making videos, you know, and gotten that speaking opportunity. And the job before that, I know that my channel had um, a big part in showing that I wasn't just all talk about my design abilities. Um, the hiring managers could see that, oh, look, she's teaching design on YouTube. She's got design shops. She's like confident in her abilities. We can see that in her portfolio too. Um, and that it was a factor in me getting hired. So yeah, there's been career progression, which was an unexpected benefit. And the money has sort of come later, like really only in the past couple of years, but that's definitely been nice as well to know that I'm building up my own thing, right? And that um, I think if I wanted to now, I could easily go and do this full time and uh, take on more sponsorships and, you know, monetize more in different ways. And that just gives me a lot of confidence in, I don't know, 
like feeling of freedom in life, knowing that um, I'm in in control of that. Mm-hmm. I love that. So there's something that I talk about as an idea that in life, if you drive a car, you need car insurance. Mm-hmm. And if you live in a country that doesn't have universal health care, you need health insurance. Mm-hmm. But the insurance that most people need to get, which very few people actually get, is job insurance. Mm. So today you're employed. Tomorrow, you could, you could, the company could hit hard times. You could have a falling out with your, your boss. And, and then you're out on the street and then you panic and you say, now what? WTF. But what you've been doing is you've been building what I think is the ultimate resume, mm. which is- I like that hundreds of videos on YouTube so people know who you are. And so when the day comes, when, you know, when, for whatever reason, whether you initiate it or the company initiates and you're like, okay, guys, I'm just letting you know on YouTube, I'm out of the free market, I'm a free agent, and I'm looking for this kind of opportunity. And then your network starts working for you. Mm-hmm. But you've also have options to be um, completely independent of any, any boss, any company, because you got the Google ad revenue, you got sponsorship deals, Uh, potentially launching products and kits and things that are related to what it is that you want to teach and share with the world. And that's what you're doing. And if you're young, if you're middle-aged, if you're old, I don't think there's ever such a thing as it's too late for you to start. Yeah. But it's, it's been a wonderful thing um, for, for, for me at least when, when I have started to do this thing almost by accident and then it creates all these opportunities and you're not even aware of it. Totally. And it's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of freedom in it, right? In yeah. in feeling like you're not chained to a job and like that you're a little bit more in control of how you want to be spending your life because, you know, for better or worse, the work you do is a big part of how you spend your life. It's a big part of how you spend your days. Um, and that's what's important to me, like um, more important than any sort of title or, or that sort of thing is just how am I spending my time? What am I doing every day? And am I am I enjoying it on the whole? There's always going to be bad days, but yeah, that's what's important to me is, is how I'm spending my time. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who aren't aware, because uh, I'll mention this from time to time, there are four pillars to happiness. One is purpose, which makes a lot of sense. We have to be connected to something mm-hmm. much bigger and then connection. So we don't feel alone in the world. Mm-hmm. And then the other two are co- quite interesting, uh, perceived control and perceived progress. Hmm. And so then you then you think, my gosh, no wonder there's so many people trying to create stuff and to be a yeah. part of the creator economy, because Charlie gets to decide what she wants to make, when she wants to make it, how she wants to make it, which, which sponsorships she wants to take or turn down for a number of different reasons. And then every day your sub count goes up, your cumulative views go up. So you're making a ton of progress. And so it's for me the closest thing that I've ever had in my life to being an artist because nobody tells me what to do. Like, I'm going to make a video. If it sucks, that's on me. If it's great, that's on me. And I'm not trying to make a committee happy. I'm not looking for the approval of an ECD who might be like, I don't know if that's going to work, Chris. (laughs) You just get to make it. Do you feel this way, Charlie? Absolutely. I feel this way. And I feel like some of the decisions I make in my business, you know, on the side are perplexing to some people because of that. Like um, recently, there's been a lot of people being like, Charlie, why don't you have a course? Like you should just put this video, this video, this video package into a course, maybe film an intro and an outro, boom, money. Like, why aren't you doing this? You're leaving money on the table. And I'm like, that's not something that I would feel proud of. And I want to make sure that, I don't know, as cheesy as it sounds, I feel like everything I'm putting out there and everything I'm building is like my legacy, right? And it's all 
it's my personal reputation. I'm making videos under my own name, not a business name. And so it's important to me that what I put out there is something I'm really proud of and I know is my best work. And doing a course that way is just not like, just not, not me. That's not, not how I want to do things. Um, and there's other things that I want to be focused on right now instead of making a course in like my ideal way. And so, I don't know, I've had people be, like trying to convince me, you know, especially course platforms wanting to partner and things like that. Yeah. But I'm like, not right now. Thank you, but not right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you take your reputation very seriously as one should. You yeah. don't want to Maybe a little yourself- too seriously sometimes, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> like you don't attach yourself to something that's um, like you phoning it in, mm. right? Yeah, yeah, because exactly. Eight years of goodwill might go away pretty quick. Yeah, and I think that I have a lot of freedom to do that because I am not relying on the income from my side hustles right now to pay my bills. Right. They are more than covered. I'm doing just great in my job in tech, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I feel like that's really enabling me to build a business in the way that suits me best and is the way that like you know, the business I want to exist in the world as well. So I feel very grateful for that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Let's talk about future Charlie, because you talked okay. about the Charlie of the past has made promises <laughs> that you have to deliver on. Yes. But yeah. let's look oh, forward to the future. She's a hard taskmaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell her to give you a break, will you? <laughs> okay, five years into the future. I don't, I don't want to talk about work. I'm just talking about your YouTube channel, you as a creator. What do you see okay. for yourself? Let's make a promise that you have to cash five years from okay. now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Five years from now, I want to have, first of all, finished the marketing design book that I'm working on. For like sure. that better bloody be finished within five years. <laughs> um, but also within five years, there's another book that I really want to write that um, is sort of like a guide to life as a designer. And it touches on more of the you know, existential side of our, our careers and what it is to be a designer and earn a living from creativity, essentially. Um, and that is a book that I want to be traditionally published. I want to like go into a bookstore and find it, you know? And so within five years, if that could happen, that'd be pretty great. I don't know. There might be too short a timeline, but let's say that let's aim high, um, and have that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how much bigger I can grow my channel because it is such a specific niche, but I would love to get that gold play button one day um, with my growth being slow and steady. Again, five years might be too short, but again, we can aim high. Um, And I don't know. I think I just want to be, I want to still feel passionate about it all as well. That's the thing. I think the day that YouTube and anything that I'm doing just becomes a chore and something that I feel like I have to do, um, that won't be adding up to a very good life for me. So I want to still be enjoying everything I'm making, even if that means changing direction slightly um, and like taking that risk. That's the situation I want to be in. You just um, reminded me of something I need to ask you. I I was reading in a book when Coca-Cola launched New Coke, the fans let them have it. Like, no. (laughs) And then the CEO of Coke said something which was quite interesting, which was we we thought we owned the brand. Hmm. We don't own the brand the customers own the brand. And that's a powerful statement. So when you talked about, like, I still want to enjoy what it is I'm doing, it made me think, when is it not enjoyable? So here's the question for you. Do you feel like you own your brand or do your fans, the people who show up, are owning your brand now? Mm, Good question. I feel like they own more of it than I maybe I would realize or want. Um, 
but like it's like you know you sort of accept it Sarah Dietschy has a really great way of describing the content she makes in that she does one for me one for them where it's like one video she'll make because it's what she really wants to make and feels called to do and the other one is the video that the audience has been asking for and wanting um I feel like maybe I sort of do like three for me one for them but um yeah in a way like definitely what the audience thinks and what they want plays a big part of it because when we make videos on YouTube, like our success is due to our audience, right? Like they're the ones following and telling their friends about it and recommending the videos, enjoying it so that they comment and that helps the YouTube algorithm and all of that. So um, I'm really grateful to anyone who ever does that sort of thing. And even though I'm all about making sure that I'm passionate about things, I want to be helping people at the end of the day. So if there's something that I need to make because it's going to help them, then I want to make that too. Mm. I'd love to stay on this topic for a little bit. I know exactly which video you're talking about with Sarah Dietschy. Yeah. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think when she's doing those tech reviews, that's one for the algorithm and yep. for the fans. Yep, it is. She doesn't love doing those, right? I think so. Yeah. And I think that for her vlogging, at one, like daily vlogging was becoming like, you know, seven for them for her um, at a right. time as well. I've heard her say that that wasn't um, what she wanted to be doing anymore. Yeah. So here's my, here's my question. And maybe I'm being delusional here. Like for, for people like MKBHD, he obviously loves tech mm. and he's always tinkering around with stuff. So that's all for him. And it happens to be all for his fans too. Yeah. 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 Right? When it aligns, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's ideally what you want. So here's what I think, because I get into arguments with our fans. I say, you know what, if you want to make that video, you know who can make it? You can make you. it. You. Because <laughs> I'm going to make the video that I want because I've uh, in, in, you know, air quotes loosely here, I've given up this other life mm. so that I can do this thing. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately people are going to tune in because I'm in my zone doing what it is that I feel most passionate about and connected to. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't hit an audience, so be it. But I just, I'm now, uh, I'm almost 50 years old. So it's like, I don't need to be doing this for other reasons than what it is that gives me joy. Yep. And thankfully it also aligns with what the audience wants. Yep. So what do you think about that? I mean, do you want to just do more of what it is that you want to do and just yeah. say, fans, thank you for your support, but I got to do me. When we talk about freelancing as designers, right, we, we know that the work you put on your portfolio is the work you're going to be hired to do. And I think it's the same with content in that if you upload content that you don't want to be making, you're going to be attracting fans who are there for that content. And so if you're sharing things that you want to be doing, your audience, the only people who will stick around are the people who like that stuff too. And so I think that's where, you know, you build an audience like MKBHD has done where you're completely aligned. Um, my issue right now is, you know, there's the screen printing video that's popular. There's also some <laughs> software tutorials that are popular. And uh, those are not my favorite things to do. Every now and then I'll make like a 101 software tutorial because I know it's going to be useful. And that's just about the level of software that I want to teach. I want to introduce people to a product in a really like easy to understand and approachable way. But I don't want to show you how to be a power user because I'm not. You can go to someone else for that. Mm -hmm. Um and I also think that sometimes I make videos that people aren't asking for, but I know that they need to see. And it's hard with the YouTube algorithm because sometimes they just won't see it. Right. But I just hope that like it'll reach the right people one day or like maybe it'll help a few people. And this is not a topic that anyone's thinking to search or anyone's thinking to ask about. But I know from my experience how important it is to learn this. So I'm going to make the video about it and just 
have hope that one day the right people will find it. Yeah, I like that. That's very admirable. So this is the difference between giving people candy or medicine. Nobody wants medicine. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants candy, but yeah. you, as a responsible adult, does <laughs> you don't want to be handing out all the candy, right? No. And I think true to your to your actions, if you really wanted to just blow up and get that gold play button, you would just make a lot of screen printing videos and crafty things, which yes. there are channels out there on the internet that do that. But you're like, you know what? Despite the success I've had with that, that's not me. I don't want to be known for that. Yep. There's something else I want to do. Right. Yeah. And it comes down to the way that I'm spending my time then. Right. Yes. Like it wouldn't be fun for me to make those videos every single week. That's how I'd be spending my time. And I wouldn't be enjoying it as much as I would like, I don't know, sharing a Webflow build that I did and like talking through my decisions and how I made this thing happen. Like that's what's fun for me is doing a show and tell, not, um, you know, doing an in-depth tutorial. So yeah, I'm just going to do that. And what was the saying? Like, build it and they will come. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> That's what you believe the Kevin Costner <laughs> filled the dreams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just want to let everybody know, though, there's a balance to all of this. There really yeah. is. Because we'd be lying to you if we're like, I'm going to make video. I don't care if two people show up. Because after a while, you're like, I'm not getting good return on my investment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because my goal was to help people, to teach people. And if no one shows up, I'm just doing Then It's just like intellectual masturbation is like it's not it's not helping anybody but me yeah and sometimes we might title it in a way that like you know catches your eye but isn't really the thing that we are supposed to get out of the video (laughs) charlie hush are you telling me you're doing clickbait (laughs) not maybe sometimes like design clickbait you know (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna say something it's gonna make the design elite get upset and then you're gonna tune in you're like no just kidding it's gonna be fine okay so let's talk a little bit about that so you want to make things that are aligned with you, what makes you happy, mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. how you want to contribute to the world and uh, what kind of legacy you want to leave behind you. Okay, we get that. But you also need to take that medicine and put it in a wrapper that feels like candy-like yeah. so that the kids can yep. eat it. And so that's the trick of life, right? Yep. On the one end, you can make candy and just give kind of vapid entertainment videos, which a lot of people do and consume. That's fine. Then you can make these super dense tutorials, which are great for society and culture, but nobody watches them. The hybrid somewhere in the middle is the the key. Mm -hmm. So being entertaining, figuring out how to hook people with a great headline, or I'm sorry, a title and a thumbnail, you know, and then pulling them in so that they can actually receive the medicine that will be beneficial to them. Yeah. Now I'm curious about this. Your thumbnails look like they're actually pulled from the videos themselves. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, yes, they are, right? Well, they're pulled from me posing for a few seconds before I film the actual video. That's what right. they're pulled from. <laughs> but they're kind of in the, the space yeah, versus yeah. like yeah, generating the a space. thumbnail. Mm-hmm. Okay. I saw something that Penguin Zero, whatever his name is, he's got like a gazillion followers on, on YouTube. He did something recently, which I'm like, oh, that's smart. That's so smart. He flexed. Like he, he actually has a muscle. So he's like, boom. And I thought maybe... <laughs> That's not in the video, but it's actually in the video. So he knew by doing that, it creates a pattern disruption that people scrolling through thinking he's a skinny internet kid, but he actually is pretty fit. (laughs) So he shared that. So have you thought about like, you know, hey, I need to do something that's going to catch somebody's eye somewhere in this video. You're saying that I should flex my muscles in a thumbnail? Is that that the advice? Yeah. No, I don't know. You, you, I don't know what you do, but you do something where like in that video, there it is. Yeah. This is, I think a big area of improvement for me is that 
what I want to focus on is making the content and the optimization side of it is not fun for me. I feel like um, I really enjoy doing that on a website, but I don't enjoy doing it on my content. Um, So it's for sure an area of growth. I like part of it is like to do with my, my own ethics of making content in that I don't want to go too far into that route. I know we joke about design clickbait, but I would never actually title my video something that wasn't included in the video. Right. Like maybe it's not the main point, but yeah. Yeah. You get punished for that. So don't, don't do that. Nobody's telling you to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody's telling you to do that. But yeah, yeah, that's, um, I, but what you just said about, you know, having to wrap the medicine in a way that makes it palatable Mm -hmm. is a way that I've had to force myself to like care about thumbnails and that sort of thing, because you're right. Like, you can make the greatest thing in the world, but if no one's going to click on and watch it, they're not going to get all that useful advice and inspiration. Um, so it's something I'm constantly, constantly trying on is trying to title the video in the most engaging way. Yep. Um, I don't know, pull a weird face in the thumbnail so it, yep. it stands out in the feed more than just a regular smile would, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Or maybe you eating a bowl of pasta or something crazy, like, what? What's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> right? And okay, I like knows? that advice more than the flexing the arm. That sounds, yeah, seems more on brand person- for me eating pasta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe doing like a sun salutation pose when you're doing your yoga. Who knows? Yeah, I, I, well, yeah, I don't know about that one so much. We'll go back to the pasta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, b- before we wrap up, I, I want to talk about one other part, which is public speaking. Because mm-hmm. you said you're also a writer and a speaker. And it's interesting because I ran into you at Epic Currents and I looked at you as you were sitting in the lobby as we're checking in. I'm like, wait, I-, I know you. How do I know you? And you're like, oh, maybe on YouTube? And it's like, yes. Because I remember early in, in those days, I used to watch a lot of YouTube videos to see like what creators are doing what, what's their style, what's their vibe. And of course, you know, I'm looking at you like, I know you. So it's one of these things where by creating content, your reputation precedes you in a very good way. Yeah. And it, for a nerd like me, uh, where I'm very uncomfortable talking to people, it helps to to break the ice because someone will come up oh, to yeah. me and is like, hey, have I seen you? I'm like, depends. And then a conversation happens. Uh, tell me about you and potentially like random sightings in the world where the good ones, not the crazy ones. Yeah. Where yeah. somebody says something, you're like, oh, that's cool. I can't believe the reach that YouTube has. Yes. This has been one of my favorite parts about building an audience on YouTube is when I'm at a design conference, you know, and I'm there by myself and I'm like, I'm not, I don't have any friends here. I, I, <laughs> I want to connect with people. I'm an introvert, but I still like connecting with people. You know, I just prefer to do it on a deeper level than just like, you know, talking about the weather or something. Right. Um, and so if someone comes up to me and is like, I watch your videos, I'm like, great. You know a lot about me already, so we can just talk about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell me all about your life and like, what are you aiming for? What are you working on? And um, it's just a really great start to a conversation. So maybe that should be my answer to benefits of YouTube is like, mm. you know, better connections and, and conversations with people makes that easier for an introvert, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's the most painful way to, to have a great conversation starter. Yeah. Because it's a lot of work. But eventually when it works, it's it's pretty awesome. (laughs) Yes, agreed, for sure. And you're right, like what you said about reputation preceding you. That's, I think, again, why I try and make decisions based on things I'd be proud of because it it does follow you and affect you and things you say matter to people or like stick in their mind. Um, So you, you know, got to believe in the things that you're saying. Right. Um, Yeah. And speaking on YouTube has led to a bunch of conference speaking opportunities for me, which has been fun. I was 
terrified of public speaking when I started all this and I didn't want to be afraid of public speaking. I was like, there is literally no threat here, right? Like I'm not going to die from getting on the stage and talking. Why am I scared of this? Um, so I like push myself to get over it again, like with making videos just by doing the thing. Um, and YouTube has been the, one of the main reasons that I've ever been invited to speak at a conference really. So yeah, it's been good for that too. Wonderful. I'm glad you shared that, that, um, public speaking is something that you were afraid to do. So I got to ask this question now, are you still afraid to do it? I think I will be the next time I do it again, because now it's been so long since yeah. I've spoken at an in-person event. I'm worried that all my progress that I made over the, you know, couple of years preceding has, um, will have diminished. But the last in-person event that I spoke at, I remember really noticing that I had like butterflies, but it was more like a anxious energy than it was a deathly terrified <laughs> as it might've been in the past. <laughs> Maybe it was excitement. Yeah, maybe like, it was, it was excitement. Horrible. and yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to like be brave and get on stage and talk to people rather than, oh my God, can I be brave and get on stage and talk right. to people? And where was that the last time you spoke? I think it was at How Design Live, um, which is a conference in Chicago. And I talked about mm -hmm. how to succeed as an in-house designer. Um, oh, good topic. Uh, yeah, it was it was a fun topic. It was a new talk that I hadn't given before, and sadly haven't gotten to give again since because of the state of the world. Right. Um, yeah, I think that I think that was the last one. I've also done a couple of meetups and things, which maybe I think they count as public speaking. But for them, I feel like I didn't feel any sort of scaredness. Yeah. So meetups are with your fans, right? No, meetups for like design meetups. So oh, not necessarily okay. with my fans, but it feels more like you're just a peer speaking to people than being on a mm. stage, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now, the the last big conference is how, did, was this in 2020 or 2019? It might have even been, I think it was 2019. Yeah. 2019. So right before the world shut down. Mm -hmm. Okay. So 2019, how design conference is ginormous, right? Or is this a different one? Yeah. It was a pretty big conference. Yeah. Yeah. So how many people were you speaking in front of? Do you know roughly? There was only a few thousand in my room. It was a, it was a, <laughs> one of the smaller rooms <laughs> compared to. <laughs> Hold on. Rewind the tape. She's like only a few thousand. I thought she was going to say a few hundred, but a few thousand, that's a lot of people. Like, you know, like maybe close to 2000. I don't know. I'm also not very good at estimating people, crowd size. Yeah. Yeah. It was. You're just I think throwing was... that out there like it's nothing. <laughs> It was one of the biggest in-person crowds that I've spoken to. Okay. So you're, you're backstage. You're like, ah, I could do this. I'm excited to do this. And you, you go out from backstage and you hit the stage. And how does that feel? I feel like I sort of go into, um, not autopilot, but that I, I like become a more enhanced version of myself mm -hmm. because I think you learned to do this on video as well, right? That mm -hmm. if you, if you don't smile while you're talking, you're just going to come across as sounding super angry. Right. And so I feel like I've just slowly learned to talk while like smiling more right. um, naturally, like from editing videos and being annoyed at myself that I hadn't done that. Right. Um, and I feel like it's the same thing on stage that like gestures are bigger. You like yeah. take a pause longer for a joke than you would if you were just having a conversation with someone. Um, and that that's the mode that I go into on stage. And it really fuels me when people respond. Like, I don't know, you make a joke and people laugh. I, I had this one part in my talk 
where I um, talking about wireframes and the fact that you have to set expectations with your team of what feedback you want to receive and what they're looking at. Um, I shared a wireframe with my team and like, you know, the expectation of that stage is to give feedback on the overall structure of the design. We're not talking about visuals here. It's just the content. Um, and I had show up on screen uh, some feedback from a teammate that said, hmm, is this shade of gray a little bit sad? And <laughs> like it, the joke landed and I was really proud of myself for, for having made that happen. <laughs> mm, nice. And it's, it's good to get that feedback. You're like, wow, yeah. that's why we do live things. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I've been missing that for sure. I've done a few, um, you know, public speaking events through live streams throughout the pandemic. And it's cool to see the chat and all, but it's just not the same as yeah. seeing people in person. And what's the best part for you when you go to speak? Because it's it's sometimes painful to prepare. Mm-hmm. You're, you're writing, you're designing, and then you do the performance. And sometimes you hit the notes, sometimes you miss a few notes, mm-hmm. but that's okay. What's the best part for you? The best part for me is probably the conversations that you can then have with people afterwards. Like, it, I know that I've done well at a talk when people want to come up and, and speak to you after it happens. When like yeah. something you said made them think of something or it connected some dots for them and they want to tell you about it, you know, for, to have connected some dots in the first place is great. But to have done it in a way that made them want to tell you about it as well and like, you know, share that with you is another level. And so that's my marker of success really for a talk is like, okay, does just one person even like care enough that they want to speak to me after it happens. Um, mm. And that's when I can, I can feel proud of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I spoke to Aaron Draplin about this and he has a very interesting strategy. I think we're all very similar in that we want to just make sure we connect with people. And, and for a person who's afraid of public speaking like myself, the reward really is in the conversations that you get to have mm. afterwards because the ice has been broken. You shared something and people feel encouraged to speak to you. Now, there are a couple of factors that would determine if somebody is going to come up to you afterwards. One, if you're approachable mm. and relatable mm-hmm. or you're intimidating and, and aloof. Mm. So how you appear, the stories that you share, how vulnerable you are, how goofy you are actually lets people know, like, I can talk to her afterwards because there's already this status difference, right? You're literally higher than them, yeah. <laughs> you know, as you're standing on stage. And so they feel like, oh, this is weird. And I know an older version of me, even if, I was dying to speak to the speaker. I'm like, oh, who am I? Like, no, there's too yes. many people here. It's just, and it's very discouraging. So Draplin does this thing where he has the merch table. Mm. So the merch table gives you a reason to approach him. And then he can just give you a big hug. Uh, he could say something to you. And I thought that's pretty brilliant. And then he says, it's also, ni- it's also nice to make some money and <laughs> some coins. So right, I'm not right. <laughs> telling you it's altruistic, but it's kind of a nice icebreaker. Yeah. So maybe you can think about things where, there's something for you to do afterwards so that you're sending a signal to them. Like, it's okay. I'd like to talk to you. Yeah, totally. Um, I think the last time we met in person was at Adobe max where you had, uh, like a booth and oh, you were yes, doing I'm live sorry. streaming you're right. yes. and, uh, you were selling merch there too. I'm wondering like, is that, did it come from that conversation with, with Draplin? No, because we hadn't spoken. We okay. were just booth. <laughs> you just booth you had, babes, that, you had you know? a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, <laughs> I had something on my 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 bucket list. Like I want to have a booth because I just want to speak to people. Mm-hmm. But we hadn't spoken at Max, and the booth is a great way to like just chat. And it it worked out pretty good. It wasn't perfect, but it was really nice to be able to do that. So people would come by. They didn't really want to talk to you. They were like Christo, and then they just walk away. And that's good enough for me. It's okay. We see each other. That's funny. You know, it's kind of nice. <laughs> 
Okay, so the question I want to ask you here is people don't understand this. There are two different art forms. Learning to speak in front of a camera by yourself, mm-hmm. that's difficult and that's weird. Learning to speak in front of a live audience is difficult and it's weird. They're not the same skill set. Mm. They're not. People need to understand this because people are like, well, what's Charlie talking about? She talks all the time. And why is being on stage different? If you grab someone who's like a live, like a professional speaker and you put them in front of video, they don't always perform well either. So it's a different skill set, especially when you're doing it by yourself. The energy is different. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. I do think that learning to speak on video has helped me with my public speaking. But for sure, they were different, both different mountains to climb. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You get practice and, and it's good practice, but it's not the same practice because, you know, you you can use a teleprompter if you need to. You can edit it. And if you don't like it, you just destroy the video. Mm-hmm. There's no mm-hmm. real pressure. Mm-hmm. So I have this question for you. When you're on stage, have you ever thought of this? Like when you're like getting nervous, did you ever sit there and pretend like it's just like YouTube? It'll be okay. Honestly, yes. Like I feel like my <laughs> my way to um, get over the fear is, you know, some people say, imagine the audience naked. For me, it's like, imagine the audience is just a camera, you know? Imagine that they're watching it and they're your viewers who are watching a video that's already been edited and just like do that. Uh, I feel like that's sort of a mental model that I use to, to get over the fear early on. <laughs> I do that sometimes too. I just <laughs> pretend like it's a black screen. Yep. <laughs> and I'm just going to do my thing. And it is oddly calming. It's really strange. I know people are going to be like, what the heck are they talking about? Yeah, I no, we're when coming spoke, across really weird right now. <laughs> right? It's just like, nobody, nobody, I can't hear your feedback anyways. Don't worry about it. I'm just going to do my thing. And then I've done that hundreds, maybe thousands of times at this point. So it's just falling into a default mode. And it, mm-hmm. it just allows me to relax. And then if I want to, then I could see the audience, you know, like mentally see them. I think the the hardest part about that is like usually when we're making a video, you're seeing us from the like shoulders up. And so uh-huh. you've got to remember like your whole body's on show. You're going to move around the stage a little bit more than perhaps you would if you were, you were just talking to a camera. <laughs> yes. You just gave me an idea. I might do this next time. I might go out on stage like looking proper uh, torso up and looking improper <laughs> torso down. Just wearing pajama pants. I just walk yeah. out there. <laughs> My boxer shorts and slippers and say, hey, everybody, <laughs> oh, this is live? <laughs> You're actually here? This is not YouTube? Just to break the ice. Who knows? That would be very memorable. Yep. People would for sure come <laughs> up and talk to you afterwards after that. <laughs> It'd be awkward. It's like, it's breezy here, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> well, Charlie, it was wonderful to chat with you. I'm glad we got to do this. Um, if people want to find out more about you and what you're doing, where should they go? I think heading to charliemarie.com is the best place. That's Charlie spelled without an E on the end, just with an I. Uh, that's where you can find links to the YouTube, to my writing, to social media, all stuff like that. Um, another thing that I'll just say that I'm working on at the moment is a interview series called Inside Marketing Design, where I interview designers working at tech companies about how they get their work done. And uh, season two is coming out soon. So Ooh. I'm excited about that. Um, that's at insidemarketingdesign.co. Inside Marketing design design.co that's a long title oh my gosh (laughs) inside marketing design.co not.com yep (laughs) any final thoughts any any pearls of wisdom you want to throw at the audience no just thanks for having me on here chris i think i love the work that you and the future do it's providing so much value to people um and 
for sure, like, you know, very aligned with my mission of helping designers to believe in the value and their worth. And thanks for all the work that you do there because oh, um, thank you. there's a lot of stuff that people need to know and, and you're giving them the real talk. <laughs> I feel like we're, we're kindred spirits because we're both educators. We, we want to give some insight into what it's like in the real working world and also mm -hmm. to lift other people up so that they can charge what they're worth yeah. and to adopt professional practices. And it's, it is a long grind. It'd be much easier. We're, we're like doing uh, that, that super entertaining stuff. But I'm glad that there are other people out there who believe what we believe in and are trying to do what they do. And it's wonderful since I don't know much about web design. It's great to see what you're doing and, and that you're helping so many people. Oh, thanks, Chris. Thank you. My name is Charlie Marie, and you're listening to The Future. Thanks for joining us this time. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new insightful episode from us every week. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Greg Gunn. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode. And thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better. Have a question for Chris or me? head over to thefuture.com slash heychris and ask away. We read every submission and we just might answer yours in a later episode. If you'd like to support the show and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit thefuture.com. You'll find video courses, digital products, and a bunch of helpful resources about design and creative business. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.